Just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at SidebarForever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. You've heard of the face that launched a thousand ships, right? Well, today we're discussing the movie that launched a thousand other movies. And some of them weren't half bad either. On this episode of Sidebar Forever, we're talking Die Hard, one of the all-time great action movies. But more specifically, the tsunami of copycat movies that came after it. You know the ones. The elevator pitch was something like, it's Die Hard, but on a blank. All the same characters, same story beats, same dialogue, and definitely the same ending. The villain must die. And again, some of the copycats were pretty entertaining and became neo-classics and cult favorites in and of themselves. Up for today's discussion are Toy Soldiers or Die Hard at a School, Sudden Death or Die Hard at a Hockey Game, Passenger 57, one of the many Die Hards on a Plane, Speed, Die Hard on a Bus, White House Down, Die Hard at the White House, and five more, along with a couple of honorable mentions, of course. I'm Adrian Johnson. I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. As Swain and I chop up our 10 favorite movies that are basically diehard. The thing about the conversation we're going to have today is, and I started trying to think, okay, so Die Hard has definitely influenced literally just a plethora of copycats and imitators. And yes, there are movies that are imitating Die Hard that don't even know they're imitating Die Hard. Correct. Yeah. You know, that came around, came around later, I'm sure. But I was trying to think of another movie of this type that has launched a thousand different imitators and copycats. Certainly Star Wars has created a bunch of copycat Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, I'll say something like uh, like Indiana Jones, like after Raiders came out, 81. So just a bunch of. 30s adventurers movies and they all had the same aesthetic you know what i'm saying right and then the other thing i would say too is once you had like those going back to vietnam movies like you know rambo and missing in action all the 80s i I grew up on all that stuff you know what i'm saying right 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 (laughs) yeah and um i was trying to think of some others maybe terminator oh yeah you know, where you get like Cyborg and uh, Universal Soldier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even in, into modern day, you know, Anthony Anthony Mackie did a movie recently called, uh, I think it's called Outside the Wire, where he's like part Cyborg or whatever. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's not great at all, at all. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I didn't even finish it. Oh, no. But that was one. And then that, that movie I was telling you about called uh, Upgrade, Upgrade. Uh, okay. It's a Blumhouse movie, and it was written by the guy who wrote, uh, I think he wrote the Saw movies, and he wrote uh, Book of Eli, maybe something like that. I, I might be getting that mixed up. But he actually wrote it and directed it. And it's essentially a guy who loses the, you know, he's a paraplegic. Yeah. And somebody puts the software in his spine or whatever, and, you know, he, you know he's able to do all the stuff. For it. But definitely, man, Die Hard has uh, absolutely... 
as one of the, the early 80s, the staples of action movies and a particular kind of action movie. And shortly thereafter, (laughs) everybody in Hollywood, not everybody, but certainly many producers and studios said, you know, we got to get some of that Die Hard movie, especially like when the second one came out and it was successful. Mm -hmm. Oh, hell yeah. It's on and popping. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, and there was a trend in Hollywood. It actually became for a time. It became, you know, um, ostensibly what could be the, the title of this episode, Die Hard on a blank. You know what I'm saying? Right. People would go into pitch meetings or whatnot saying, okay, I, I got this movie I want to, I want to, sh- you know, get you guys to produce or whatnot. It's Die Hard on a blank. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. They would refer to those as the elevator pitch where you basically, you know, muscle your way on the elevator with the, uh, the, the high level executive <laughs> and pitch this person a film idea before, you know, they get down to the ground floor and get in their limousine or their bins or whatever and then drive off and you never see them again. And so people, you know, the idea that people would say, okay, it's like Lord of the Rings meets Terminator. It's like uh, Terms of Endearment meets, you know, uh, Unforgiven. It's Damn. like, uh, <laughs> you know, these weird, just crazy combinations. And in some cases, obviously, you know, it's like, man, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in some cases, it, it, it quite possibly works. And the, the thing about the Die Hard as a template is die, the Die Hard movies themselves, at least the first two, mm-hmm. were essentially John McClane in Towering Inferno. And then it's John McClane in Airport. Yes. <laughs> you know, then, of course, you know, it gets the, by the third movie, it's, you know, it's just John McClane saves New York or some shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the ones after that don't even exist, so we don't have to talk yes, about Yes, exactly. That, so. I don't even know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh. but let, let's start with 1991, and you and I were in total agreement on our top ten list. Like, literally, I wrote down a top ten with a few honorable mentions. And then when you, when you text me, I was like, Oh, this is almost my list. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, uh, 1991 with toy soldiers, uh, which starred Will Wheaton and Sean Astin mm-hmm. and, uh, and Lou Gossett Jr. Right. That's right. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Now what was the plot of that? Cause I've only seen that maybe twice in my, in my time, yo. Oh man. I want to go see that in the movies with my mom, man. <laughs> Hey, man, shout out to your mom, who is your movie road dog, yo. She was down for it all, yo. She sure was, man. I, I rolled with her, man. But, uh, yeah, saw it in movies in 91. And basically it was um, this new kid comes to this prep school, this upscale prep school, you know, and the, and the, and it's a boys' school. So the boys that are there, they're getting into, you know, mischievousness or whatnot. So this new kid come to find out, we find out his father is actually this drug kingpin, you know, and (laughs) 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 this is so crazy. So the father comes to this school, him and his henchmen, his cartel or whatnot, and they take over this school. I forget why. But they're just in there, and, they, and they're holding the school hostage. Right. And, you know, like I said, it's upscale. <laughs> so, you know, all these boys here, their families are rich and very, very well-to-do, you know? So he's like, if you don't, you know, 
you know, do whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, start killing these hostages or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And Lou Gossett is on the side of the authorities negotiating with him. But meanwhile, Sean Astin and Will Wheaton, but mostly Sean Astin, he's the bad boy. So from inside, he's the John McClane role. <laughs> oh, so he's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's trying to do his best to the wart, the wart, this um, drug kingpin while he and his henchmen are doing their thing. So that might be the earliest example that I could think of that we can think of, of like this diehard on a blank, which in this case is diehard at a school. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And um, I remember seeing this. I can't even remember what the circumstance was. And it was pretty underwhelming, at least at the time. <laughs> but, you know, now I kind of do appreciate the fact that, that you know, you had Lou Gossett and you had, you know, Sean and uh, and Will Wheaton yeah. in the movie. Because, you know, Will Wheaton, you know, went on to uh, Next Gen and, uh, and Sean Astin, you know, was in, uh, was he in Rudy? He went Rudy, yes. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. in Rudy, and then Lord later on in uh, Lord of the Rings, and and some other movies too. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but but our next entry, sudden death. No, excuse me. Our next entry, uh, Passenger Fifty Seven. Oh. Um, which is, and and let's let's go ahead and stop before we get into Passenger Fifty Seven and note that some of the movies we're going to discuss today actually kind of became kind of little cult favorites, and and they were actually pretty good. B level action movies in and of themselves you know what i mean for sure oh yeah mm-hmm. they're definitely it's kind of like um i don't think any of these movies are better than die hard but i was kind of thinking like almost like like bill sinkevich started out you know kind of imitating neil adams <laughs> and then he yeah. kind of went his own way and, and created his own fan base and his own you know and, and kind of created his own lane but you still see the remnants of neil in there Way, way in the back. He's like a software running in the background. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? But so, and, and Passenger 57 is one that we love. Oh, yes. You know, with Wesley Snipes and uh, Elizabeth Hurley and, and Tom Sizemore, directed by Kevin Hooks of, of uh, White Shadow fame. Mm-hmm. This was the first one where I was like, okay, this is Die Hard on a plane. Yes. Like I was in the theater like, arms folded for a second and then after a while I was like alright I'm with it <laughs> oh know? yeah yeah man oh yeah because because you know what it was man it follows the template you know what I'm saying you have mm-hmm. this European terrorist this bad guy played by I think Charles Reigns Charles Rain. well Charles Reigns is the character ah uh, that's right I forget who the actor's name is Bruce Payne is the actor if I'm not mistaken Bruce Payne okay okay yeah. <laughs> who was dastardly yes yo perfect Hell yeah! Oh man, you kidding me? Yeah, but he and he and he wasn't he wasn't quite like a Dollar Tree Hans Gruber. No, because he actually had a little bit of charisma where he came in, he kicked open the cockpit door and held the gun on the pilots, and he said, "Who's in charge here?" And then the head pilot said, "I am," and he shot that dude in the head. Bam! And he said, "Who's in charge here?" And the co-pilot said, "You are." You are. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember that was the moment where I was like, okay, he's actually got his own shit going on. I'm going to ride with you, Charles Rain, for a minute and see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But again, it follows the template. You know, this European bad guy terrorist comes into the scene, you know, and he has help, you know, from the inside with his henchmen or whatnot. And mm-hmm. it's in this enclosed space in which the hero, the protagonist, is 
you know, trapped along with the other passengers. You know what I'm saying? And he has to use his wits to kind of do battle with this bad guy, you know, within this enclosed space. You know, and, and what I like about it, too, is, is that the film is very well paced. You know, the plane has to land sometime, you know, has to refuel. So while they're there, that's an opportunity to get the cast outside of the plane for a bit. You know, I have, you know, a great set piece there at that carnival. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then when they have to get back on the plane to take off again, you know, and now you got the help of more authorities that can actually, you know, help, you know, Wesley Snipes or John Cutter is his character um, in the film that can actually help John Cutter now. You know what I'm saying? They did a very, very good job of handling that whole cast and the plot. And it's very, very satisfying. There were... There are more than a couple of, you know, parts, just like in the original Die Hard, where you're like, yes, yes, like, yippee-ki-yay motherfucker is equivalent to always bet on black. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and even um, uh, there were a couple of other quotable lines. I think that was the other thing, too, is I knew that this movie resonated with me and my friends when we were kind of referenced lines in it so always bet on black of course is probably the most famous and the most classic right the other one was i, I think i mentioned this before where me and my buddy damien uh, -huh. uh will say uh you know when charles rain is on the radio talking to the cops he says one of my men has uh has run rogue and he has left me you'll know him when you see him he's a black man very smooth and convincing <laughs> <laughs> like that could be anybody <laughs> we quote that all the time but the other one the funny thing was uh when um Wesley's character, John Cutter, gets on the phone. He's calling the cops, and he says, "Get in," or somebody. He says, "Get in touch with Sal Del Vecchio." How do you spell that? He's like D E L Vecchio. Vecchio. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but number three on our list is Under Siege. Oh yeah, yeah, which came out in uh, in 1992. Yes. Uh, I forgot who directed it, but of course, you know, Steven Andrew Davis, Andrew Davis. OK, thank you, sir. Uh, Steven Seagal, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, Bernie Casey, Bernie Casey. I forgot Bernie Casey was in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bernie Casey. Um, and this is essentially Die Hard on a on a ship. Right. You know, uh, on a battleship. Mm hmm. And Steven Seagal is basically our John McClane stand in. Right, yes. You know, where, you know, Hans Gruber's like, you know, this is just a party full of executives. Well, then who's doing this? This is not a security guard. You know, he, Hans Gruber knows that this guy is a, is a plant. And the same thing with uh, Seagal's character where he's a cook and he says all the time, I'm just a cook. I'm just a lowly cook. That's all I am. I'm just a cook. Yeah. You know, almost sounded like he was doing like a black Italian kind of an accent, you know. I'm just a cook, man. <laughs> but... Of course, we find out that he was a Navy SEAL yes, and, uh, and a special ops person, and he's just taking this lowly, quote, lowly position as the cook. And, of course, you know, he turns the, uh, the terrorist whole thing upside down. But what is it you, that you think, because I'm trying to think, what is it that made this? Obviously, we were all Seagal's fans. And obviously, this was Seagal moving out of his normal three-word titled movies, you know, Above the Law. Uh, marked for death, hard to kill, hard to kill. <laughs> he's moving away from that. And he's actually moving into a situation like, you know, in Die Hard, where you have the somewhat lone protagonist, our lone hero fighting against overwhelming odds. He has a little bit of help, 
but it's basically him. And the same thing with Seagal, where he has a little bit of help from the uh, the young the young actor who, actor who plays the uh, the stripper dancer, and uh, and some of the other people on the ship. Yeah, basically him. But what what is it about this one that stuck with you? Because the sequel was trash with a uh, Morris Chestnut. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's not even <laughs> worth mentioning. Dark territory, <laughs> man. But no, that that first Under Siege, man. There's so much that sticks with me about that. First of all. It's Andrew Davis, who is, to me, the best director for Steven Seagal. Um, Andrew Davis directed Above the Law, you know, Seagal's first movie. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, he's able to give Seagal a certain type of uh, verisimilitude that works. You know what I'm saying? You know, that really makes him look like he knows what he's doing within this setting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that sticks with me, too, is, is that Seagal... He is a he's a good protagonist, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to give you a whole lot, but he gives you enough to believe that he's capable of doing whatever he's doing aboard this ship. You know what I'm saying? Right. The other thing that helps it too is is also the details of the actual battleship because this battleship was the um I believe it was the USS Missouri if I'm not mistaken, and they're getting ready to uh, decommission it. Okay. So they had the run of this real-life battleship, you know what I'm saying? And the details of, like, like man, the one part that I love is, like, when um, Seagal hooks up with, like, some of his other, um, his, his fellow crewmen that have been mm-hmm. trapped, but he finds them, and together they need to shoot this submarine that's offshore that's, um, that's taking away whatever these missiles or whatever it is that they came for, it's going to be loaded onto the submarine and that's the getaway. And so Seagal and the rest of these crewmen, they manned one of these guns on the, um, on the ship. Right. Mm-hmm. And just the detail of like, load it, check, loading, got it, get the range, that type of thing, you know, and he's trying to find the range of, we got to shoot this submarine. You know, I love that because it has that military aspect of like, yeah, that went a long way to showing, okay, this character knows what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? And those little details helped. And then once again, you have the diehard template of uh, this one terrorist, this bad guy, charismatic bad guy comes on with his henchmen and they take over this space. You know what I'm saying? Which is played by Tom Lee Jones and assorted henchmen. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. And Seagal does battle with him. But one problem, the only problem I have with this movie, as much as I love it, is that final confrontation with yeah. Steve Seagal and Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, way offhand, it's the same problem I have with Tom Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro in The Hunted. Uh, stop knife fighting. You, hey, Tom Lee Jones, you, you can't knife fight, yo. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> bruh, you can go get dog, bruh. <laughs> yeah, yo. Yeah. The knife fight at the end was was hardly believable because they were in like this enclosed space on the ship, maybe right there in the. Uh, I think they were in the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, in the bridge, in the uh, in the in the uh, control area. But yeah, it, it wasn't super convincing. But everything else, Tommy Lee Jones rocked it. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. He rocked it. He was funny. He was this crazy kind of a. Aged ex hippie. Yeah, you have a revolution. He's like, you know what a revolution is? It means it comes back and around and around and around again. Yeah, and the, and the, <laughs> the Texas accent was great. And maybe that's kind of part of it is is the the villain has to have an accent. Doesn't necessarily have to be Europeans. It's just having an accent of some kind. 
that's you know maybe uncharacteristic for four villains for for whatever reason but he was great Busey was great I remember loving Bernie Casey and the little bit that they gave him to do yeah uh but moving on to probably this might be the greatest diehard honor because number four is speed mm. which came out in 1994 yes yes and and a, first of all just a great cast you know We've got Keanu Reeves breaking out of his Bill and Ted and his kind of a uh, the image that oh. he had prior to that. You know, he shaves his head, so he's kind of more rugged looking. He looks like he's in pretty good shape. Yeah. Jeff Daniels is there as his uh, as his partner, who's kind of the smarter of the two. Um, you got Joe Morton as the police chief. Um, you have Dennis Hopper as the bad as the bad guy. Come on, Jack. Huh? What are you gonna do? Huh? Jack? Huh? Huh? Don't drop it. Don't drop it, honey. It won't hurt when it goes off. You won't feel a thing. It won't hurt. Oh, I hated Dennis uh, Hopper yes. so much, yo. He was so good. And uh, and Sandra Bullock as the uh, you know it's kind of this this you know hapless woman who ends up driving the bus and ends up in you know in the hands of uh uh of the uh of the bad guy. But and 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 the whole coterie of character actors that you've seen elsewhere. Yes, and they're all on that bus. Yes, Alan Alan Ruck. From uh, Ferris Bueller, yes, the uh, actor who plays Ortiz, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Latino guy, I saw him. He showed up in something. It was something with Jason Statham where he showed up as a as a as a villain himself. And I was like, Ortiz, Gigantor, yeah, Gigantor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And the uh, the bus driver was Big Red from uh, the Five Heartbeats. Show was yeah, yeah yeah that's right that's right yes yeah yeah <laughs> so they just had they had tons of great character actors and this was the first one like I said where I was like this is Die Hard on a bus and it actually created if you think about it Speed actually as as a descendant of Die Hard had other descendants after it where it was like okay we put someone in a high pressure situation where. The clock seems to be ticking in real time, and uh, it's very suspenseful, and the audience is on the edge of their seat because if this happens, we tip over into oblivion. If we keep that from happening, you know, you're just on the razor's edge writing. So Speed kind of launched like a phone booth mm-hmm. with uh, Colin Farrell where he's in this phone booth, and there's a, there's a gun trained on him, and the police are around, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and it all kind of happens in, in a, like a 90-minute real-time sense. And then also, and this is a terrible movie, um, Cellular, oh, with Chris Evans and uh, and uh, Kim Basinger, oh, it was awful, yo, it was awful. <laughs> oh no! But they were all like, okay, it's like speed, where you know, okay, the clock is ticking, and we got to keep the speed limit over this or whatever. If this call drops, and it's like, okay, a call not dropping in L.A. In 1990 or 2000, whatever, in early cell technology, you're running through all kinds of parts of town. There are no points in between cell towers where the call doesn't drop. And that's just it. Come on. Yeah. But anyway, I do think that Die Hard, I mean, excuse me, that Speed did kind of launch its own kind of set of of action movies as, you know, as a descendant of a descendant of uh, of, of Die Hard. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the other thing, too, is is that, you know, it also, within that, it launches, you know, the type of diehard scenarios within, like, these seemingly mundane circumstances. Like, what danger do you think you would have aboard a city bus? 
you know. Right, right. Right, you're right. just going to work, you know, you drink your coffee or whatnot, and all of a sudden, this happens? You're in the midst of this? You know what I'm saying? And I, I have a funny story about Speed, man, a personal but funny short story about that. Go ahead. When it came out, <laughs> here in Atlanta, at, there used to be a CNN center, and they used to have a theater down there, right? Of course. So, my mom, me, and my sister, we go down to you know, the CNN Center to see the movie, okay? But me, being a punk-ass teenager at the time, you know, and wanting to do my own thing, why did I go see the Flintstones instead? I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to see that. You know what? I'm going to go see the Flintstones. Oh. Bruh, the theaters were right next to each other. So I'm sitting there watching this wacky-ass Flintstones, and, and, and you know how the sound systems, when they first started, they were loud. Yeah. So you hear through the wall, boom, 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 boom. Right, and right, you, right. And then you hear, like, that, that, the audience, and they're like, whoa, oh, wait, God, dog, Like, dang. <laughs> so we come out, we come out our respective movies. My mom and my sister, they just, minds blown. It's like, oh, my God. And everybody else walking out, too, is like, damn, that shit was fire. When they say fire back there, they probably would have said, man, that shit was tight. Man, man, that joke was tight, Joe. Dang. And I'm up there walking out of Flintstones like, dang. And I felt like Fred Flintstone. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> Look. You're like, thanks, John Goodman and Rick Moranis. Oh, yeah. Oh, but so subsequently, I did see it on video cassette, like when it came out later that year. And that was the hot one to have. That was the hot one to have. And man, when I saw that home, I was like, damn. Yeah, yo. Damn, this shit is good. Holy cow. Yeah. Even now, if you were to watch it again today, that like you were talking about earlier with the pacing on Passenger 57. It moves. There's never a dull moment. You're never off the edge of your seat. Every time I've seen it, when it's like it pop, would pop up on cable or whatever, I would always, no matter what scene you come in on, you're glued and you're like, oh man, like you're right back on the edge of your seat. And it literally is, no pun intended, a thrill ride. You know, it literally is that. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention too, now we're talking about Die Hard, the original Die Hard. Mm -hmm. If you notice, there are several. Um, things about Speed itself that are callbacks to the actual Die Hard film. Uh, for one, the director is Jan DeBunt, who was the cinematographer on the original Die Hard film. Oh, okay. For John McTiernan. So that's why it has that really, really taut look. You know, it has that really great look. Um, and speaking of the look, um, the other thing too is, is that the production was designed by Jackson DeGovia who also did the production design on the original Die Hard as well. So oh. that's why it has that same taut look, that same great look. Like, yeah, this is well done. Mm -hmm. um, also produced by 20th Century Fox. You know what I'm saying? And the third thing is, what was the third thing? The third thing was, okay, the elevator shaft um, that starts out the movie, um, Speed, where they're going up in the elevator shaft, that's the same elevator shaft that's in Die Hard, the original Die Hard. In the, not well, that wasn't that was shot on a soundstage though, right? That's not a uh, Nakatomi. Uh, that that's a real that's a real elevator shaft, uh, to my understanding, and that's the same one. That's how they were able to get access to that shaft. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
And I would say other two other maybe more uh, subconscious callbacks to Die Hard, really Die Hard one and two, is the beginning of Speed starts in a tall building. Yes. Mm-hmm. And ends at an airport. Mm-hmm. Like Die Hard too. So in a way, it kind of it, it kind of does it kind of touches both of those films in a way. But that's uh, that's really interesting, and that actually makes a lot of sense. You do find like uh, I want to say maybe it was. Uh, uh, Who's the fellow that directed uh, Men in Black? Is that Barry Sonnenfeld? That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think he was the cinematographer for the Coen Brothers on um, Blood Simple. On Blood Simple, yeah. And then he, of course, go you know goes on to become a director himself. And there are tons of other examples of that uh, that have happened. But but definitely, Speed was clearly pitched as it's Die Hard, but it's on a bus. You know, um, number five. Okay, we're, we're starting to decrease in quality a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. What you got? Number five is uh, is 1995's Sudden Death. I, now, now I, full disclosure, this is a blind spot for me. I've never seen this all the way You've through. never seen it? Oh, my goodness. Now, that, was, that was that period of Jean-Claude Van Damme where it was like, no, nah, man, John, you slipping, yo. Damn, yo. No. Okay. Okay. All right. I will say this. Okay. For a, ge- a gentleman of your taste and of your of your of your caliber as far as, you know, uh uh action movies, I think you should see it and you will enjoy it. All right. <laughs> it's essentially Die Hard at a hockey game in a coliseum. <laughs> it, it's absolutely that. Starring uh Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Uh Powers Booth is the villain. Oh well, you got me right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You all good, and uh, and actually, uh, Dorian Harewood is in it. Oh, as for one real? of the uh, yeah, as like a cop or an FBI guy or something uh, that shows up later. He's act- he actually ends up being a uh, a traitor where he's working with the terrorists, and you don't find out till the end of the movie. And of course, he and uh, he and uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's character, you know, end up getting into a fight. But the just the quick premise of the movie is is the terrorists come in because the vice president is going to be at this hockey game. Why is the vice president at a hockey game? Okay, never mind. Forget it. Yeah. And uh, he's of course in the in the in the in the booth with the the secret uh, secret service, etc. Yeah. And Powers Booth is gonna kidnap and hold the pres the vice president and all the hostages. You know, he's gonna hold them uh, hostage or the other people the other as hostage, and then you know get the money or whatever, and then like blow the place up and then slip out. It's die hard. Right. And uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character is like a fireman who's now like a security guard or something. And his kids are at the hockey game and he gets separated from him when he realizes, oh, there's bad guys or whatever. And then they get his daughter and then he and the movie literally ends with him like on a wire across the top of the hiker, you know, the the aerial part of the hockey rink, like sliding on like a zip line. And he zip lines into the booth where the president is and then. But I will say this: it is entertaining. It is okay. That's not like a that's like a Friday night, long hard week. You know, you put it on, you rent it at the video store, you put it on. Like you said, you order pizza. In my case, back then, you know, you get some root beer. Oh yeah. You just you just yuck it up and just enjoy it. And as soon as the movie's over, you forgot about it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. It's over. Oh man. But now, do you know that um, there was a remake of that, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Michael J. White is uh, is in the remake. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now I didn't see I didn't see that, but I was talking to Warren one day, and Warren was like, "Nah, it's not the answer, dog." <laughs> 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 I think, and I think he's I think he's friendly with uh with uh with White uh uh, but yeah, he was like, "Nah, it, it wasn't the answer. It wasn't the answer at all." <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but moving on to uh, number six is going to be Executive Decision. Uh, 1996, starring Kurt Russell. Yes. So you know it's not great. Hey, hey, man, slow your roll, but go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Kurt Russell, Halle Berry, uh, Oliver Platt is in it. That's right. Steven Seagal is in it. Yeah, and John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo and B.D. Wong, you know, is in it. B.D. Wong is a, he's a character actor you've seen in a bunch of stuff, and he's 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 in it as well. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who directed it. This was pre, so this is 1996. So this is five years before September 11th. Yes. So back then it was game on. If you wanted to have uh, uh, Arab or uh, uh, Islamic bad guys, mm-hmm. pe- you know, bad guys from the Middle East, and that's what you had in this movie. That's what you also had in uh, True Lies. Yes, mm-hmm. you know all the bad guys were Middle Eastern guys, and then after September 11th is when you see in 2001 is when you start to see a movement towards Asian bad guys, Russian bad guys. As a matter of fact, Russian bad guys is, have remained in vogue since then. Yes, you know, yeah. It, it, almost every movie you see now that or you know, be it on be it on uh, a streaming platform or in the theaters, if it's an action movie and there's a there's a mob. It's always the Russian mob. Russian mob, yeah. Yeah, it's always the <laughs> Russian mob. So the Russians have yet to to gain any, any, uh, any, uh, any, any kind of love. They still from, the undisputed uh, champs. They still got the belt. <laughs> yeah, they're like, da, da. <laughs> but you know what, man? I say that because the movie was just okay. The two things I remember about it the most was well, three things. One was. Steven Seagal's character gets introduced as kind of like the head of the elite uh, SWAT team or whatever that somehow boards this plane in midair. Austin Travis. Yeah, that was his name. Yes, Austin Travis. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but he gets killed in like the first twenty minutes. Yeah, and which was a shock. We yes, saw this yes. in the theater, and I remember there was a gasp in the audience. Again, I saw this from my mom. We all went, when he's trying to hold this uh, stealth fighter together, and no way they can all fit in a stealth fighter to board this plane. That's not happening. But anyway, they do. Right. And uh, he's like, all right, y'all get on there. Y'all get on there. I'll, I'll, hold, I'll, hold, it. I'll hold the link together. And when he couldn't hold it anymore, he lets go, and he dies. And I remember the audience was like, oh, yeah. Steven Seagal died? Because you just knew Steven Seagal was going to make it to the end of the movie because that's what Steven Seagal does. Right. Yeah. So, man, when he died, we, it, it took a minute. I remember the theater, all the air went out in the theater. No hyperbole. We were all just like, well, hold on. So who's going who's gonna to help them now? What the hell? <laughs> so you're saying nerdy, bespectacled Kurt Russell's character <laughs> is going to be the hero of the movie? <laughs> with 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 Halle Berry and I remember I was like okay yeah I was like I guess I guess Tango and Cash is going is going to save the day <laughs> but and look in my mind I kind of wanted John Leguizamo's character to kind of be like a leftover from Die Hard 2 <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when he was one of he was one of the henchmen in that movie, and yeah, then he was the mole. Yeah, he, he was. The, he came to the side of good in uh in executive decision. But Seagal dies in the first twenty minutes. That's the first thing. Yeah. The second thing was, as mentioned, September eleventh was. After September 11th, I remember trying to watch this movie and I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. Mm. It bothered me. It bothered me so much. I was just like, ugh. And you know, the crazy thing about that too, Swiss, is that there is a particular phrase that a particular piece of dialogue that one of the um, terrorists says that's just like, uh, yeah, that's a bit, bit foreboding. He says, we will take this plane into the belly of the infidel, into the belly of this beast. And it's like, ah, uh, yeah. Uh, oof. A little too close to what yeah. happened. Yeah. 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 I, can't, I can't rock with you, uh, 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 Terrace. I'm going to have to, I'm going to blaze on over here. I can't rock with you. No more. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to turn that off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but the third uh, thing, which was the funniest, and I've only met uh, one other person who caught this like I did, and that was my buddy Vince. Uh-huh. In the movie, if you go back and watch it, Halle Berry has a bit of a mustache. Really? Yes, dog. No. Yes, dog. Yes, dog. Because this was like Halle Berry at that pure and innocent stage, like post Last Boy Scout and Boomerang when she was like the finest honey you had ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that she had a mustache. No. She had, she had a little bit of a mustache, dog. She had a little bit. So much so, like I said, when I mentioned it to Vince, he was like, God damn, I thought I was the only one who noticed it. And we both thought we were crazy. But look, uh-huh. the funny thing about this is apparently this is not something new because when she did Boomerang with uh, Eddie Murphy and, uh, you know, and Martin Lawrence and Robin Gibbons and, and, and so on and so forth, all the, all the actors in that movie. When she did Boomerang, supposedly Eddie Murphy's joke behind her back was to refer to her as Senor. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. See, now I'm curious to go watch that just to yes. see. Yes. Cause, cause like, cause like that was that was that was the black Barbie doll right there. You kidding me? Well, well you know, actually probably under C, I mean, excuse me, executive decision was. After her her debut as that, you know, after Boomerang and after that comedy she did with uh, Tommy Lee, Tommy uh, Davidson or whatever, you live in large or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was after that period, after uh, Crackhead and uh, uh, Jungle Fever, and kind of in between her being the young starlet. Like she might have been thirty then. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she might have been thirty then. She's fifty something now. She was kind of in between that era where, to be honest, there might have been some replacements. Like, think about it. The, the, actor who, the actress who played uh, alongside uh, uh, Wesley Snipes in Passenger 57. Oh, yeah. She was like a Halle Berry, like, like uh, Avatar. Mm. You, know? <laughs> you know, you had yeah. uh, Michael Michelle coming along at this time. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, so, so some, some, some other actors might have come along and course corrected her, as they like to say on, uh, you know, uh, as far as that's concerned. So who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. She, 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 had, she was a, a mustachioed Halle Berry at that time, dog. Oh, oh. It wasn't sexy. 
I'm, I'm be oh. honest with you, it wasn't sexy though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just a bit of quick trivia that I I, uh, I I came up with, and this is something that uh, me and Warren have talked about. Warren actually brought it up to, uh, as as a point of conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to Die Hard in 1983, Eight. 88, 88, 1988, yeah, John McClane, right? Mm-hmm. Most of your action heroes are going to be either named John or Jack. Absolutely, that's correct. So yep. you got John McClane, you got John Cutter in Passenger Fifty Seven, Jack Tra- Jack Traven in Speed, Jack Traven in Speed, even uh, the character Jack Bauer on Twenty Four, which is essentially Die Hard on a TV show. Right. Yes. You know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, and your boy um, Channing Tatum's character. We're going to talk a little late, bit later on about White House Down. Channing Tatum's character in White House Down is named, I think, John Cale. And also, which we'll be discussing very shortly, perhaps after this, Harrison Ford in the movie Air Force One, John Marshall. John Marshall. Yeah, so John is a go-to, John and Jack are go-to names for strong, resilient, you know, heroic types. That's that's always almost always what they go to. You're like, I mean, it's just over and over and over again. And, there's, and there are other names, you know, that you see, like, for instance... You know, names that suggest sensitivity, names that suggest uh, innocence, names that suggest intelligence. You know, you see those names kind of uh, repeat over and over again as well. But um, moving on from an executive decision to our, our number seven spot is, and again, this quality is dropping now. It's dropping. 1997's Turbulence. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I no. think I've seen this one time, and we joked that you only really need to see it one time. Barely, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Ugh. But this is one of several diehards on a plane: Passenger Fifty Seven, uh, Executive Decision, Air Force One, and then a, a, a Turbulence. But maybe like a sea level movie. Lauren Holly plays the stewardess uh-huh. who's basically battling Ray Liotta, who's this crazy person on the plane. And he's trying to take the plane down. I guess I can't even remember the plot. Um, it's like I think he's he's being transported. Like he's a maximum security prisoner that they happen to just transport. He's so dangerous they have to transport him by himself on this seven forty seven. What? Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And um and this is the this is during the period in the nineties where Lady Ray Liotta. There are a lot of thrillers about you know, and we're going to get into just for 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 anyone who's listening. At some point, we're going to get into this is, you know, like we're talking about it's die hard, but on a blank. Yeah. We're going to do an episode where we do the blank from hell. Yes. The ex-wife from hell, the babysitter from hell, the roommate from hell. Yeah. The co-worker from hell. The yeah. co-worker from hell. The uh, the uh, the adulterous relationship from hell. Oh, yes. where it just goes off the rails. And so this was during the period when Ray Liotta was in this. He's also in Unlawful Entry, playing like an unhinged person who just won't stop, who just won't stop. And Kurt Russell is actually in that uh, with him, along with uh, with Madeline Stowe. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, I remember seeing this, and at the time, I kind of had the hots for Lauren Holly. I always thought she was kind of sexy. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that was kind of the, you know, she got cast as that kind of a, that kind of a figure in, in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, Turbulence was not great and was clearly, clearly like a die hard on a plane 
Um, but the thing about that is, is anything on a plane is kind of interesting. You know, anything that puts people in a confined space, you know, like the bus on speed or on the plane, you know, it's like, okay, there are only so many places you can go. So you really have to try to be maybe unsuccessfully. So be creative about what you do with the plot, because there's only so many places you can go. Either the plane's going to land like it did in Passenger 57, or it's going to crash or somebody's going to get, you know, they're going to you know, crack the, uh, you know, the wall of the plane and the pressure's going to go and then they're going to get sucked out. Something's going to happen. Yeah. You know, something's going to happen. But, uh, but turbulence in 1997, and I don't even remember who directed it or anything like that. You know, it's just, yeah. Ah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, but number eight is the, uh, the aforementioned Air Force One. That was actually, I'll go on the record as saying, I think that's Harrison Ford's last good movie. And and I'd be apt to agree with you. Yeah. 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 Uh, 1997, uh, Ford plays John Marshall, the president. You got Gary Oldman as the Russian terrorist. Again, t- you know, terrorist, bad guy with an accent. Glenn Close is in that, isn't she? She sure is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like she's the one in the situation room, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think she's either the, the secretary of state or I don't think she's the vice president. She might be the vice president. One of those, but she's the highest ranking person in the situation room. And he had Harpo as an errand boy, just running back in. Boom. Hey, the president, he said that he wants us to lay the play. Boom. Hey, the president said he wants me to do this. Come on, Harpo. Dang, Harpo. Who is Harpo? Who is, who is Harpo? Uh, Harpo from The Color Purple, the actor who played Harpo, you know, Harpo oh my God. Why they had him play the Arab boy? That was his whole job, yo. Oh, my God. Even in the, even in the theater, I was like, I was 17 oh. to my sub. Damn. Come on, Harpo. Come Damn. on, Harpo. <laughs> but, yeah, man. Mm. But that's another one where it's like, okay, some guys just infiltrate air force one really hey 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 don't hey hey swiss don't hey don't do it man hey don't, man I, I'm, I'm begging you like the hostage in a in an action movie don't do it i'm I begging you don't do it <laughs> and then i just <laughs> gotta go gotta go <laughs> but no man this movie right here Man, it's it's so taut. Um, it's directed by Wolfgang Peterson, okay? And we're talking about Wolfgang Peterson, the director of not only this, but In the Line of Fire, uh, Das Boot, one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. He has experience with, like, choreographing and directing action within a confined space because there's very little difference between an airplane and a submarine. Both are long tubes, and there's not a lot of places you can go, but somehow Peterson makes it work. And and I will say this, yo, as as ridiculous as the plot may seem, as you're pointing out, man, when Gary Oldman and those and those Russian terrorists first take over that plane, yeah, there is no other rousing action scene that will get your blood pumping. The music is going. Like, from the outset, where they rolled a smoke grenade up, you know, and Gary Oldman's like, he counts in Russian. One, two, three. And they rushed the armory, and they grabbed the vest and the machine guns, and everybody's like, what's going on? What? What? Wait a minute. They're smoking the cabin. And then one of the Russians is like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And then that music comes up. 
and they take over the plane. Ooh-wee! Yeah. You want to talk about a thrilling action scene? Every time I see it, that would have me on the edge of my seat. Like, holy shit. Hell, that's how you direct action, man. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And that uh, that mano-a-mano uh, exchange that uh, Gary Oldman, who I think is very short, and then you got Harrison Ford, who I think is probably six feet, where he jacks him up and he says, you know, you think you're not a terrorist just because I use a gun or I use a, a bomb and you use a, a smart bomb? You think, you think you're not a terrorist? And so I really like the idea that they actually had a little bit of, of, of serious politics in there. Uh, in in terms of their motivation, and this is, if I'm not mistaken, okay, this is in, in a long list of Gary Oldman uh, playing really great villains in the '90s. Maybe starting back with uh with uh Leon, mm, mm-hmm. uh, or Le- Leon the Professional, and um and then also you know in this, he goes on in uh the Book of Eli, he plays a villain. Uh, he's actually a villain in the Hitman's Bodyguard with Sam Jackson and uh and Ryan Reynolds, and, and not I mean that's a, I I I've realized I can't say that the Hitman's Bodyguard is good, but I like action comedies. Yeah. So I kind of give them all a chance, and you know you know you're gonna have a laugh moment, you're gonna have an action moment, you're gonna have a laugh moment, you're gonna have an action moment, but he plays that character in that and. He doesn't play a villain, but he plays like a hero with uh, certainly a flawed hero with feet of clay in um, Romeo is Bleeding. Okay. And then you got him also in True Romance as the quirky, whack-ass drug dealer, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, see the, you see the fine bitch, right? And then the fine bitch, you know, you pick it up, right? This is the fine bitch, right? You know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, he, he, he really kind of carries that kind of thing in the 90s. And this is definitely the ultimate example of it where... You know, he's maybe not A-list himself, but Harrison Ford is certainly an A-lister at that point. At that time, yeah. Yeah, and Glenn Close is an A-list star, you know, at that point in the 90s as well, which is hence why she's the highest ranking person in the, uh, you know, in the Situation Room. But a a fun movie, definitely Die Hard on a Plane with a slight twist to it. And we're actually going to, that actually carries us well into our number nine spot, which has four movies in it. So... This is a number nine spot is going to be White House is going to be Die Hard at the White House. So you got got White House down with Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx. You've got Olympus has fallen with Gerard Butler and Aaron Eckhart. And I forget who the villains were. I don't don't even know. I, I forgot myself. I think I think they were just generic Asian terrorists, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. And then uh, Olympus Has Fallen was so successful, they did London Has Fallen oh. as the sequel with Morgan Freeman as the president yet again. <laughs> uh, and then they did a third one. Uh-huh. So this is like Die Hard. So you had Die Hard at the White House. Then you had Die Hard in London. Yeah. And then the third one was Angel Has Fallen. I don't know where that takes place, but essentially it's, it's Gerard Butler's character, is his the John McClane stand-in, but he's been accused of being a traitor, so he's on the run, so to speak. Uh huh. Yeah. So, but they actually did three of them. Now, I'll say this. Okay. White House Down is not good, <laughs> but it was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Channing, oh, Ta- no. Channing Tatum was horribly miscast. 
Yes. You know, he is an athlete and he's a super built guy and he's got charisma. But I just didn't believe he was smart enough to do any of the things that he was doing. I just did not believe him at all. At all. And Jamie Foxx was actually pretty good as kind of like an Obama-like president. I was going to ask, like, what did you think of that? Do you think in the wake of Obama, like, that made it more plausible, you know, having Jamie Foxx as the president? Well, we had had black presidents before. You know, Morgan Freeman was a black, ple- black president in Deep Impact. Deep Impact. Yeah, you're right. You're uh, this right. is post-24, so, you know, Dennis Haysburg was president in that. So, you know, we had had uh, presidents of color at that point on film and on TV, but he was clearly doing an Obama. Yeah. You know, like they 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 have a point where, you know, they're like alone in the elevator shaft or whatever. He and Channing Tatum and Channing Tatum said, uh, you know, uh, you know, you want to be president, you know, because you he said, I guess you want to be president because, you know, you wanted to, you know, uh, lead the country. Or, you know, he, he, he gives him some kind of a, a of a, an empty compliment. And Jamie Foxx says, no, no, no. I wanted to be president. I ran for president because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make change, you know, and you could almost hear. You know, I wanted to run for president because I wanted to make change and I wanted to make a difference. And, uh, you know, you can almost hear him kind of going into <laughs> like an imitation Obama. But Channing Tatum's character is John Cale. His daughter's trapped in the White House because she's on a tour. Uh-huh. And the terrorists take over the White House and they have her. And Channing Tatum's outside the White House and somehow manages to get in because he's like an ex uh He's an ex-Secret Service who's kind of been dishonored or whatever, and so he's kind of on the... Aren't they all? They're all. all. Yeah, they're all. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not terrible. But Olympus Has Fallen is is considered the better of the two White House movies with Gerard Butler as the Secret Service guy. Again, something happened, and the the vice president's... The president's wife died in a car crash, and Mm -hmm. he's dishonored, and, you know, his boys... And one of his boys who's still working in the White House, of course, is a turncoat and is the traitor. Right. I, I would I would recommend Olympus Has Fallen over White House Down. And it, clearly it was more successful because, you know, it got two sequels you know, out of it. So. But uh, that's Die Hard at the White House. Um, last but not least, least is uh, Skyscraper from 2018. You've never seen it, right? No, and the, and you know the main reason why I didn't see it. The main reason I didn't see it was not only is like the 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 rocking and the rock he's all right for what he does, but yeah. the main reason is like it is just clearly die hard. No, clearly, no. yeah, no, they're not. E- they're not even pretending. <laughs> they're not even pretending. Like damn, <laughs> but it's uh, uh, and I think uh. If I'm not mistaken, The Rock's character's name is is Will. Will. You know, as in like, you know, Will or, you know, Fortitude or whatever. But his character's name is Will. He is oh a God. former, like, tactical SWAT guy. Of course he is. He, go, he uh, in the beginning of the movie, he's trying to stop this guy who's holding his family hostage. And the guy blows up the house and blows part of his leg off. So The Rock's character has a prosthetic leg. Okay. And that's clearly a device so that he can't be quite, he, you know what I'm saying? Otherwise, it's like, of course The Rock killed these motherfuckers and, and saved the day. He The Rock. Look at him. You know what right, I mean? exactly. <laughs> so they had, they had to give him a handicap. So he has this prosthetic leg, which comes into play many times throughout the course of the movie. And um, 
he leaves the SWAT or whatever and starts his own security business. And some buddy of his from his SWAT days is working for this Japanese company. Uh, where I think it's Japanese, where they uh, they built this huge skyscraper, and it's a smart building. Mm-hmm. So everything in the building is running like a smartphone. I mean, everything is integrated. If a fire starts on this floor, it puts the fire out and isolates it so it can't go any farther. Like, it's just, the whole building is like a technological uh, uh, a miracle. And so he's going there to try to help this, this, this uh, Japanese businessman uh, with his security in the building. And then the terrorists come in and his family's in there and he gets separated from his family and then he gets back to his wife, but they got his daughter. And then it ends at the top of the movie. And the main terrorist guy is, uh, he's got an accent and the movie literally ends with him kicking the, the villain off the building and he falls to his death in a fiery inferno. <laughs> oh brother. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. But, um, uh, the rock is in it. Um, there's some other actors in it that you've seen in other things. And I think Nev Campbell plays his, uh, his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I hadn't seen her in a while and she was actually, she was actually pretty, she was actually pretty good. Again, it's like a sea level movie, you know, and they're like, you said, the rock is good for what he does. Yeah. Don't give him a lot. Don't give him a ton. Keep him in a narrow lane. He'll get the ball over the over the over the uh, the red line and, and get you into the red zone or whatever. But <laughs> but um but yeah, skyscraper would definitely be. It's not even like Die Hard on a blank. It's Die Hard. What if you put it in a blender and you put the rock in there and you put uh uh, uh you know uh you set it in Japan and you put Nev Campbell in there and you blend it all up and then you put some spinach in and that's your smoothie. anyway anyway uh let's go over some honorable mentions man before we finish up because you said you had a couple right yeah yeah one that sprang to mind to me was uh masterminds and i was trying to i think that came out in the early maybe maybe 2000 you know because the whole thing of like die hard at a school it's like Toy Soldiers reminded me of it, and it has Patrick Stewart in it, along with, you know, some other kid actors, you know? Okay. And so it's kind of like this PG, PG-13 light version of Die Hard at a School, and, you know, they're trying to outsmart Patrick Stewart, who's taking over this school, but I think they're doing it through, like, computer means, like digital means. Okay. And it's like one of those early digital movies where nobody quite knew how the internet quite worked at computers, so they're just taking a wild swing at it just to make it work. And it's like, eh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. And as a matter of fact, you you, you referenced that in uh, to uh, Toy Soldiers as uh, Die Hard at a School. For whatever reason, I always got because it's been so many years, I would get Toy Soldiers, the plot of Toy Soldiers, and the plot of Red Dawn mixed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Almost the same thing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yeah. <laughs> Wolverines! <laughs> yeah, yo. Oh, man. Uh, and I think we also talked about, too, as far as honorable mentions, uh, The Rock. Mm, mm. You know, with Nicolas Cage and uh, uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery and Ed Harris. And uh, and Candyman. Candyman, Tony, uh, Tony, Tony. Tony Todd. Tony Todd. Tony Todd. I want, I want my, my money. fucking money. I want my money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and David Morse. 
It's been an honor to serve beside you. Mexican standoff. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, the Rock is an honorable mention. Would you consider Con Air to be an honorable mention? Hmm. hmm. That was one I hadn't considered, but it has a lot of the same elements because it takes place on the plane and they do have to land the plane for a little while, just like Passenger 57 before they get back up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would almost say, I would almost say no. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Just, nah, mm-mm. Okay. All right, and it seemed like there was one other one that we were talking about as an honorable mention. Hmm, I'm trying to think. Because it really looks like we, we, we've headed off most of them. I mean, unless you really think about the really C and D level ones, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I, uh, uh, yeah, maybe I'm reaching, but I think we have kind of covered the glut of uh, of Die Hard movies. And to go back to the re- to the actual Die Hard sequels that they did, Die Hard Four, oh. and didn't they do a fifth one? Yes, they did. Yeah, those movies were trash. It was as if they had never seen a Die Hard movie, and it's like, no, 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 no. You can't make Die Hard like every other movie in the 2000s. You know what I'm saying? With the technology and with the no sense of humor and make it all gritty. And now John McClane is kind of like this stoic action hero. That's not what those movies are. That's not what they do. That's not what they're about. And they don't feel anything like the original Die Hard movies. And maybe that's a sign that you just can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? That was one of the questions I was going to posit to you, man. You know... Given that action movies have definitely changed and we're in the midst of like, you know, superhero franchises and, you know, the Fast and the Furious franchise where mm-hmm. fucking cars are swinging off ropes over suspension bridges and jumping through buildings where it's like your suspension of belief is challenged to the point where it's like, could you really believe that one man in the course of one night would be able to survive against this cadre of terrorists? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Would a movie like that be successful today without some other added element? You know what I'm saying? Well, to some extent, it's almost like uh, the Born Identity, where the Born Identity actually uh, had a huge influence on action sequences. You know, with the uh, handheld camera and with the quick cuts. Yeah. And and actually giving real training to the actors so that they really look believable. Uh, defeating the the people that they're fighting in hand to hand situations, and and also ca- casting an actor that could seemingly believably come up with the ways that they get out of certain situations. You know, like Matt Damon seemed like he could be crafty enough to kind of figure it out. Yeah. John Wick. John Wick doesn't really think much. He's not a smart hitman. He's just a very good hitman. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know, and I don't, and I remember when they uh, they cast Daniel Craig as uh, James Bond, and I remember people or writers, you know, movie movie writers referring to it as the the bornification of the Bond movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like okay, you made you took Bond out of the kind of kitschy, uh, kind of you know, uh, tongue in cheek Bond of yesteryear and of the last really the last thirty years, and you made him more gritty and more realistic. Yeah, lethal. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually like Daniel Craig is my second favorite Bond now. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's fantastic. But 
he can't really do gadgets now because it's like, okay, gadgets in, in the modern, modern world, you can't sell this ultra realism and have him have a, a, a watch with a magnet on it. And he, you know, <laughs> that's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, for sure, uh, Die Hard, and I think we'll probably add this in the intro. Yeah. Die Hard is the movie. That launched a thousand movies, yo. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's either the the face that launched a thousand ships. It is the it is the movie that launched a thousand movies, yo. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever. Hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.